Let's turn over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. For those of you that have not been here, I've been talking about how that God's already given us everything. It's already in us. We don't need God to move and to do something. He's already done everything. I've been teaching from Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. And last night I was in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 that we're saved by grace through faith. Grace is what God does. It's independent of us. It's before we were ever born. It has nothing to do with you. Grace is separate completely from you in any performance. Faith is our response to what God has done by grace. If you think that faith is something you do to get God to move, then it's not true Bible faith. Faith doesn't move God. God's not the one that's stuck. God has already moved by grace, anticipated every need that you'll ever have. And by grace, he's already provided it. Faith doesn't move God. Faith moves you. It'll move the devil. It'll move circumstances. But faith is just a positive response to God. Faith is a way of reaching out and appropriating what God has already provided. And you know, typically when I teach on you've already got it, I'll go on to other things and Um, this has been a little different. So those of you that have been here, if you've gotten my teaching on, you've already got it. You may think, well, you've already got it. (laughs) We have people call in and say, I'd like that teaching that Andrew's talking about. And they'll say, you've already got it. And they say, I do. And they'll say, no, but we'll send it to you. And they said, I thought you said I already had it. (laughs) We've had a lot of fun out of that. But, um, Anyway, this teaching on you've already got, it's not exactly the same as what I've been doing this week. And I'm going to slow down uh, this morning and I'm going to just illustrate what I was talking about last night about grace and faith. That God by grace has already provided everything and faith is just a way of resting, receiving what God has already provided. And here in Hebrews chapter 4, this is exactly what he's talking about. I wish I had time to put all of this in his context, but the book of Hebrews is to show that Jesus is the superior way of God speaking to us. It trumps the Old Testament things that were communicated through angels and through the law that Jesus has changed everything. It talks about that there's a change of the law, there's a change of priesthood, and it's really a powerful book. In the third chapter of the book of Hebrews, it talks about how that the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt and God never intended for them to live in the wilderness. He wanted them to enter into this promised land and that was his will for them, but they didn't enter in because of their unbelief. You could liken this to grace and faith. God by grace had a plan for them and his plan wasn't for them to spend 40 years in the wilderness. He planned for them to enter in. He by grace, it wasn't because they deserved it. The Jews weren't the greatest people. The Lord said that. The Lord told them, he says, you're a stiff-necked people. He says, I didn't redeem you because you were the mightiest nation on the face of the earth. I did it because of my covenant with Abraham. And he he had a plan for the Jews, which was to enter in to the promised land, into this land flowing with milk and honey and all of this abundance. And that was God's will. But the people rebelled and because of their unbelief, they spent 40 years in the wilderness that God never intended. Likewise... 
God has a plan for us. And I was talking about this, how he wants us to live in absolute abundance and victory in every area of our life. That's grace. It's not based on what you deserve. You don't have to earn it. It's just God's will. It's a grace gift that he's given to us. But does that mean that it automatically comes to pass? No, because we have a part to play. We have to believe and trust in him in order for God's grace to have its full impact in our life. We can void the grace of God through our unbelief. And so there is a perfect parallel between this. And so in chapter four, verse one, he says, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, some could, should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You have to take what God provides and mix it with faith. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a combination of those two. And if we don't respond positively to what God has planned for us, then it's not going to come to pass. But on the other hand, you can't just emphasize faith either because you can believe and try and make things come to pass. And if, it's God, if God hadn't provided it, you can't make it happen. It has to be something that God has provided, but then you do have to respond in faith to it. That's what this is talking about. In verse three, it says, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, again, Hebrews chapter four is really wordy in the King James. It's old English. And what he's doing here, he's saying that there is a rest for us. And then he quotes from Psalms chapter 95, verse 11. David is the one that spoke this. And he says that uh, he that believes on the Lord does enter into rest. And David was telling the people of his generation that there was a rest for the people of God. And then the rest of these verses go on to say, that this wasn't fulfilled when the Jews entered into the promised land because that happened under uh, Joshua. And then hundreds of years later, here's the king, David, who was also a prophet, prophesying and saying that there is a rest for the people of God. And so he's saying that this couldn't have been fulfilled when they entered into the promised land. There is still a rest that remains for the people of God. And then Paul, or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, is bringing this down into modern day and saying to the New Testament saints that there is a rest for us. Now, let me just say some things here that, you know, when I first read this, it didn't totally connect with me because I was thinking when I thought of rest, I thought of like laying down, going to sleep. And I thought, you know, is there a place in the Lord to where you can just, you know, quit trying Quit seeking the Lord, quit praying, quit studying the word and somehow or another you just rest and everything works. That's not what this is talking about. And to prove that it goes on and it now starts quoting from uh, Genesis and it talks about when the Lord created the heavens and the earth and he sanctified the seventh day and rested on the seventh day. So it's talking about a Sabbath day rest. And let me just illustrate this, that uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, haven't you heard about the Lord that he never gets weary? He never faints. There is no limits to his strength and ability. When the Lord created the heavens and the earth and then he rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't because he was worn out. It wasn't because, you know, if he created one more moon, he was just going to 
have to, he was going to pass out. I mean, he had given it everything he, he could do. He just could, he didn't have it in him to do anymore. No, it's not that kind of arrest. It's like when a raw lawyer says, I rest my case. It's not because the lawyer's worn out. It's because he said everything that there is to say. He's presented all of the facts. He's, it's through, it's complete. It's like when an artist paints a picture and he gets through it and he looks at it and he says, it's perfect. If I add one more brush stroke to it, it's going to ruin it. And so he just rests. It's not because that artist is worn out from holding that paintbrush. It's because it's through, it's complete. And this is what it's talking about. When the Lord rested, it wasn't because he was tired. It was because it was complete. Creation was perfect. Let me just show you a couple of things. Most people skip through this and they don't think about this. But look in Genesis chapter 1 at the way God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Excuse me, that's Josh, John chapter 1. That's a great verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. And so then he, he separated the water that was above the firmament from the water that was below the firmament here on the earth. In other words, he created space and he separated uh, heaven from earth and did those things on the second day. On the third day down here in, um, let's see, what day was that? Well, in verse 10, it says, God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called these seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass. Now notice this in verse 11. This is really important. The Lord said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. Why didn't God just say, let there be grass, let there be trees. See, if he would have just created trees and grass, then he would have had to have recreated trees and grass. Every time that original tree died, he'd have had to create a new tree. Every time that grass died, he'd have had to create a new grass. When he created the animals, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. When he created man, he told us to replenish the earth. The point is, if you really go through here and study, he didn't just create animals and create trees and create grass. But he said it in a way that sounds real wordy and you wonder why he said this. It's because in his creation, he didn't just create the original creation, but he gave everything the ability to reproduce and to recreate and procreate. He created everything perfectly so that this morning he didn't have to get up and say, let there be a million new cows to replace all the ones that died. Let there be a million new trees. God has never done anything else about creation since the first six days of creation. He created everything in a way that the entire creation reproduces, procreates. It was complete. And that's the reason that he rested because it was absolutely perfect. There was nothing left to do. The Lord didn't have anything else. He has never done anything about creation since. There has never been another animal created. Nothing has ever been created. 
You know, this may bother some of y'all's theology, but God doesn't create us individually. He created our original parents and he told them to reproduce. And yes, it says in Psalms 139 that he knows all of our parts. He knows all about us. He had a plan for us. Our days were already planned out before we were ever brought forth out of the womb. And so I'm not saying that God isn't involved, but it's not just like there is a new creation. You were procreated by your parents. This is why a lot of people... Uh, you know, they'll just sit there and they don't use anything like birth control. And they say, well, if God wants us to have children, we'll have children. And if he doesn't, we won't. And they wind up having 15 kids and can't understand why. It's because God gave you the ability to procreate. And if you put the laws into motion, you're going to have kids. If God just supernaturally planned every child to come and said, oh yeah, we want this. Well, then prostitutes would never get pregnant. People who are going to abort their children, God would never cause them to get pregnant. God is not individually creating us. He is not individually creating animals. He is not individually creating trees or grass or anything. He made the original creation so perfect. The way that he spoke it, that he had, it was just complete. He has never had to, he didn't just, uh, you know, he doesn't just wind creation up for a, a year or two. And then every year he has to adjust it and do something. He planned everything that would ever happen. There is nothing that can happen that God didn't anticipate. And this is andeology. You may or may may not agree with this, but let me just throw this in. I'm leaving tomorrow, praise God. (laughs) But this is why I really get upset with people who basically have this theology or this belief system that the world is so fragile and that we're hurting our environment and that we're going to destroy the earth and that it's global warming and we're out of this. And they don't factor into the fact that God created this earth. There have been terrible things happen on this earth. A volcano will throw up more ash and more carbon monoxide into the atmosphere in one day than will happen in 10 years and the earth can accommodate it because God anticipated all of these things. And yet this is just a humanistic approach towards things that they don't realize God is the creator. God set this thing into motion and they are sitting here and they think that they're God. So therefore our little car is causing the earth to go out of balance. You know, it just so happens that I've read that they've had the largest solar flares on the sun this year that they've had in decades and it has wrecked havoc. And this is a lot of the heat and stuff. And yet you'll hear the global warming people come along and talk about, see, this is proof of global warming. Well, let me ask you what my car emissions had to do with the sun that caused all of this stuff. How did this affect the sun millions and millions of miles away? That usually goes over about like that. But my point is that God created this earth and he anticipated everything that would ever happen. Did you know that there was enough air on the earth with Adam and Eve to support 6 billion people? He hasn't created any oxygen since then. He's got the earth. There is one stand of trees in Iceland that can process all of the carbon monoxide on the face of the earth of 6 million people and reproduce it and turn it into oxygen. And that's just one little stand of trees. There's trees everywhere. There's two and a half times as much forest in the United States as there was when the pilgrims landed in Plymouth. I got a friend in the forest service. That's just a fact. I tell you, it's just amazing the way that it's because they get away from the word of God. 
When God created the heavens and the earth, he created it perfect. He dealt with everything. He gave it the ability to reproduce. He gave it the ability to repair itself, to recover from anything that happened. He told us how the world is going to be destroyed and it's not going to be destroyed by men. God is going to destroy it. He's going to do it. And so anyway, my point is he created everything so perfectly that he just rested because there was nothing left to do. Not because he was tired. It was complete. And here's an important fact. When he created Adam and Eve, he created them on the sixth day and at the end of the sixth day. Now that's significant because create man is God's uh, crowning creation. Contrary again to a lot of people who think that we're no different than a snail darter or some animal. That's not true. God put us in authority. We are the only ones created in God's image. And uh, we are God's crowning creation. But he didn't create man first. He created man last. You know why? Because if he would have created man on the first day of creation, he would have had to tread water for three days until there was land. (laughs) There wouldn't have been any sun. There wouldn't have been any light. There wouldn't have been any heat until the fourth day. He created light on the first day, but he didn't create the sun for the light to come from until the fourth day. He wouldn't have had anything to eat. He, if he would have been created when the land did appear, he would, God said, let there be trees and boom, all of a sudden forest are rising up and here's Adam and Eve dodging all of the trees and stuff. <laughs> it wasn't ready for him. God waited until he had already created the heavens and the earth. He had created the sun. He had created the grass. He created the trees. He created the animals. He created everything. And then he created man. And as soon as he created man, man entered into his rest. Everything was complete. He didn't have to plant a tree and wait seven years for that tree to grow and produce fruit. God had already planted it. It was already fruit producing. All of his food was already there. His oxygen was already there. The temperature was perfect. God created everything and it was complete. And the moment Adam and Eve were created, they just entered into a rest where God had provided everything. And all they had to do was just reach out and take the fruit and say, thank you. That is a perfect example of what I'm talking about in grace and faith. God has already anticipated every need that you will ever have. Nothing is going to catch him by surprise. He's got everything planned. Your healing, your prosperity, your joy. The times people say, well, people have never been through the things that we're going through today. Oh, give me a break. Man, there's gener- you know, we talk about kids, man, they're stressed out and kids have pressures today that they've never had before. Man, we've got a friend over in England who at four years old was taken because they were bombing um, London and they were taken and put in, a, put in a field with hundreds of other kids. And for four years, they lived out there without any parents. Some, some adult supervision, but for hundreds of kids and for four years, these kids lived in a field in tents, separated from their family to try and preserve them through World War II. Now that's pressure, but not having designer jeans or the, or the um, tennis shoes that light up when you walk. And so you're just under pressure because you uh, pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. You know what? 
Well, people have never known what it's like to sit in traffic and just sit there and have all of the stress of traffic. Oh yeah, well, how about the people that they come through and rape and plunder and murder everybody? I've read some of these books about Poland and other things that in one generation, there was not a single generation for hundreds of years that they weren't conquered by somebody and all the women raped and the things plundered and they all became servants and slaves. And that went on for centuries in the middle, mid ages. Man, this is a, the scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. We like to think that we're under stress and nobody knows the trouble I feel. That's not true. Man, it's the same thing, just in a different package, a different wrapper, a different bow. We're just fighting the same things. But see, that it, we, we sit here and try and justify our situation by talking about how bad things are. That's not so. God's anticipated everything that could ever come into your life and He's already provided it. Just as surely as He anticipated all the oxygen that 6 billion plus people would ever need on the earth, it was created in the beginning. He's anticipated all of the food needs. And today we have all of the food to feed over 6 billion people. They had that originally. All of the food that was necessary to feed the entire billions of people on the planet were there when there was only Adam and Eve. All of the oxygen. Everything that we need. God's anticipated every need. He's already got everything planned. And when you were created, when you were born again, you entered into this this grace to where God had anticipated everything you would ever need. It's all there. And all you got to do is just rest in it and reach out and take it. And yet most people don't have that And so they sit there and they're trying to make God heal them, not understanding that he's already provided it. And you don't have to fight. All you got to do is rest. You have to learn to rest in these things. And let me share with you also that this is what the Sabbath was all about. Look in uh, Colossians chapter 2. Boy, if you can get hold of the point I'm making right here, this will really help you. This is a powerful truth. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 16, he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moons or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. It's an amazing statement right here. It says, Don't let any man judge you, and it lists five things. And it says in verse 17 that all of these things are shadows of something that is to come, but the body is of Christ. You know, if you could imagine right now, like if this was the corner of a building and if it went way on up and if I was standing here and if you were standing around on that side and if you couldn't see me because of this building, but if there was a light behind me and you could see my shadow, that shadow could give you information about me. It could tell you whether I'm standing still whether I'm walking towards you, whether I'm walking away from you, whether I'm jumping up and down, whether I'm carrying something. If you can't see me, a shadow would be very important. But you know what? If I walk around the corner of the building and if I'm in full view, somebody would think you're crazy if you fell down and hugged my shadow or tried to shake hands with my shadow. My shadow is important if you can't see me, but once I'm here, why would you talk to my shadow? Why would you look at my shadow? Well, the Old Testament, these five things were shadows of New Testament things that were going to come. 
And before the New Testament came, they were important. But now that the New Testament has come, why would you sit here and operate in a shadow and function and relate to this shadow when we now have Christ? That's the point that he's making. And so look at these five things listed here in verse 16. It says, let no man therefore judge you in meat. You know what this is talking about? There were Old Testament dietary laws. Certain things you could eat. You couldn't eat shellfish. Shrimp were taboo. Oysters were bad. You couldn't eat any of that. You couldn't eat pork. There were certain things that you could eat and certain things that you can't eat. Did you know most people in here eat pork? Most people in here eat shellfish. You know why? Because it says over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says that everything is, is to be eaten and received if it's, it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And it says it's a doctrine of devils if you tell any person that they can't eat certain foods. It's a doctrine of devils. Did you know that that directly contradicts the Old Testament law that forbid eating swine, that forbid eating shellfish, but under the new covenant, see that was only a type and a shadow of a New Testament reality. The New Testament reality is that we're supposed to glorify God in whatever we do, whatever you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. He separated people, certain foods, not because those foods were typically bad, Man, I could preach about this forever because there's so much confusion in the body of Christ and they think that God gave these laws so that you wouldn't eat pork and get trichinosis and stuff. The only time this is commented on in scripture is here and the reason God told people not to eat certain foods wasn't because those foods were bad. It was because he, they were shadows and types of New Testament realities. And yet we have people today in the name of the Lord preaching that you can't eat this and you can't eat that. And this is God's dietary laws and his plans and stuff. And it violates the scripture. It says that's a doctrine of the devil to command anybody to forbid them to eat meats. Usually goes over about like that. I'm just telling you that people are preaching the law and putting people in bondage today because people don't know the truth and they're making you feel guilty because you eat pork. Man, I love bacon. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. It was only a shadow of things to come. But see, most people say, oh yeah, I agree with that. And then it says, don't let them judge you and drink. Did you know that there were certain things that you could drink and couldn't drink? There were dietary laws about drink. Most people in here don't even know what those are. So apparently you aren't in bondage to those. See the New Testament, we have gotten free from some of these things that under the old covenant, you would have been cursed. You would have been punished, judged by God if you drank certain things. Most people in here don't even know what those are. So we must be free from that. It goes on to say, or in respect of an holy day. How many of you observe the last Passover? How many of you observe the last Feast of Tabernacles? Probably not most of you. You know why? Because it was only a picture. The scripture says that we now have Jesus as our Passover. I don't have to keep the Jewish Passover. It was commanded in the Old Testament. It said, you do this throughout your generations forever. It didn't say just until the new covenant, it's forever. But it was for the Jews and it is fulfilled in Christ. It now says that Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. And every time you observe the Lord's Supper, you are keeping the Passover. You are remembering Jesus. 
And that was only a picture of a New Testament reality. Now we live in the New Testament, so I don't keep the Passover. I don't keep the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't keep the Day of Atonement. I live in the Day of Atonement. Jesus has atoned for my sins. Those were only types and shadows. We don't live under that anymore. The next thing it mentions right here, it says, or of the new moons. Did you know you had to offer a sacrifice every new moon? How many of you offered a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice last new moon? How many of you know when the last new moon was? (laughs) David does. Not very many people even keep up with that stuff. Well, it was just, those were Old Testament types and shadows. True, I agree. And it says the next thing, or of the Sabbath days. Now there's five things listed here. We've already talked about four of them. And did you know 99% of the body of Christ believes that we're redeemed from the dietary laws about can't eat shrimp and things like that. We're redeemed from the drink offerings. We're redeemed from the holidays, the Passover and all of those kind of things. We're redeemed from offering sacrifices at the new moons. But the Sabbath day, you got to keep the Sabbath day. How do you pick and choose one out of five and say that that is still for us and all of these other things are gone? And if you're going to say, oh, but we've still got to keep the Sabbath. Well, then why don't you go back and keep these other four things that were pictures and shadows of things to come? I tell you, it's really hypocritical. It's, it's not logical the way that religion just picks and chooses certain things. I mean, if you're going to be legalistic, be legalistic. Offer a sacrifice every new moon. Don't eat pork. Don't do all of these things. I mean, if you're going to be, be a Sabbath keeper, why not keep all of the other things listed in this verse? You know, the Sabbath was a picture. This was a shadow of things to come. What did the Sabbath shadow? The Sabbath was instituted after creation. God rested and blessed the seventh day and man entered into the Sabbath. And he commanded us not to do any work on the Sabbath. People have gotten hung up on the observance of the day and have missed what it pictured. But what it was picturing is... It's picturing this thing where everything's complete. God's provided everything we'll ever need. And then as soon as man was created, we just enter in to just reaching out and taking what God has already provided. He already provided our food. He's already provided our air. You just breathe the air free. Amen. He's already provided it. And everything that we need is provided. And so we just instantly enter into a rest. And the Sabbath was a reminder that, you know what, it's not your effort even though you are planting seed, even though you till the ground, it's God that has provided the laws that make that seed grow. It's God that gives you the rain out of heaven that makes the plants grow. And it was a reminder that God is your source. Now see, we've lost some of this because we've grown up in a culture where the Sabbath is observed. And to us, it's just kind of a cultural thing and we don't think about it. But when God instituted the Sabbath with Jews, did you know people were working seven days a week 15 hours a day trying to grub out a living and they didn't have a supermarket to go to and get their food from and stuff. And I mean, if, if they didn't have rain and if things didn't work, they could have a famine and they were, they were just on the verge of starving and they were working seven days a week and barely getting by. And here come the Jews and they take one day out of seven off. You know what? In the natural, you would think, well, they won't prosper. They'll never have as much as these other nations because they take one day out of seven off. And yet because of God's blessing, because of their faith and trust in him, 
God blessed their work more and the Jews prospered than all of the other nations around them working less and having more. And it was a testimony to them that God is your source. It's not just your effort. Yes, they were putting forth effort, but it was God blessing their effort. And in case anybody missed that picture, in the 25th chapter of the book of Leviticus, they were commanded to take one year out of every seven years off. Amen. They not only took one day out of every seven days off, they were commanded to take one year out of every seven years off. And let me read this to you out of Leviticus chapter 25. They were to proclaim the year of Jubilee. And it says here in Leviticus 25, 20, it says, And if ye shall say, What shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, ye shall not sow nor gather in your increase. Then will I command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth for three years. Ye shall sow the eighth year and eat yet of the old um, fruit unto the ninth year. Until her fruits come in, ye shall eat of the old store. So what he's saying is, he commanded them to take one year out of every seven years off. And they said, well, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? Just like clockwork, on the sixth year, he would give them three times a normal increase. And that would sustain them through the sixth year, through the seventh year, and through the eighth year while they were sowing their crops. It was absolutely miraculous. There was no rhyme or reason for this. But it was just supernatural. And you know what it was? That was a, it was called a Sabbath year. You took one day out of seven off. You took one year out of uh, seven years off. And it was a Sabbath year and God just blessed them. And it was to prove to them that, you know what, even though you are working, even though you uh, till the ground and sow the seed, it is God that gives the increase. God is your source. And it was to remind them that you're supposed to rest in the Lord. And this rest that is still for the people of God that was spoken of in Hebrews chapter four, this is what it's picturing. That, you know what, we still have to pray. We still have to seek the Lord. We study the word. We do things. But you know what? All we're doing is laboring to rest in the Lord. God, by grace, has already provided everything. He's made all of the provision that you will ever need for anything. And what we've got to do is just rest in this and just reach out and say, thank you, Father. I take my healing. I believe that I receive. I don't know if you get this, but this is what Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about, that there is a rest unto the people of God. There is a place that very few Christians have entered into. Most Christians are trying to get God to do something instead of resting in the completed work of Christ. When you got born again, that that was a new creation. And did you know what? When you got born again, in your born again spirit, God already has done everything that you will ever need in your life. You've got enough power to raise Jesus from the dead. It's on the inside of you. And it's more than enough for cancer, than for AIDS, for your hangnail, for glaucoma, for what, anything that's happening. God has already placed on the inside of you more than enough power to deal with any sickness or disease that ever comes your way. He's already given you the power to get wealth. He's already blessed you and commanded a blessing upon you. Jesus died and became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He's already placed that power and anointing on the inside of you. And all you got to do is mix it with faith and go out and start believing. 
and do something. See, this is why I am just totally against the way that welfare is administered in this country. I believe that anybody could need help temporarily. Anybody could be in trouble. But to be where you just live month after month and they're extending this welfare, uh, that you know, uh, unemployment and stuff like this, it's detrimental. And I know lots of people that won't go get a job at McDonald's because welfare will pay you more than you can make at McDonald's. And people think, why would I go do that when I'm getting paid to do nothing? The difference is that God said he would bless what you set your hand unto. He will multiply it. If you set your hand times nothing, a hundred times zero is zero. But if you go out and work at McDonald's and do something, he will bless what you do. And a person who is working at McDonald's can start receiving the blessing and the multiplication of God and God can increase you. And I can guarantee you, if I went and got a job at McDonald's, it wouldn't be long till I owned that place. I'd become the manager and then I'd own it. God will bless what you set your hand unto, but God is not going to bless nothing. And yet we've got a welfare mentality and we're rewarding people for doing nothing. It's an ungodly principle. The scripture says, if you don't work, don't eat. Now, again, anybody might be in a pinch where you could use help from some people. I'm not saying that you're bad if you've gone on welfare, but I'm saying to live on welfare, to dwell there, to be a second and third generation, you're missing the blessing of God. You aren't appropriating what God has done. You aren't believing that God has given you power to get wealth. You're sitting there mooching off of other people, and that is not a godly system. Amen. Boy, I'm glad I'm leaving tomorrow. It's a tough group. You may not like what I'm saying, but everything I'm saying is based on Scripture. There's a lot of people that say, well, I don't care. They aren't going to let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. But I'm telling you that God has already provided these things, but it's got to be accessed and appropriated the way that He provides in Scripture. God has provided healing. He's provided deliverance. He's provided joy. He's provided prosperity. He's provided all of these things. But you have to labor to enter into rest. If you kept reading in Hebrews chapter 4 after it talks about all of these benefits of just resting in the Lord and receiving this, then it says, let us labor to enter into His rest, lest any of us should seem to come short of it. Now again, see, if you think of rest as laying down and taking a nap, then this doesn't make sense that you have to work at resting. But if you look at resting as I am going to stand in the fact that everything I'll ever need has already been provided for me and I'm just going to rest in that. Boy, it takes work to rest. You are going to have to spend time in the Word of God renewing your mind and getting to where what God says about you is more real than what the banker says about you, than what your neighbor says about you, than what they say on the news. It's going to take effort to get to where what God says that He supplies your need according to His riches and glory is more real to you than what the uh, recession is saying about all of the hardship and things like this. You know, in Colorado Springs, there are, I don't even know, but 150 or something parachurch ministries. And, and when this recession hit October 2008 and they started talking about it, did you know we have access to some of these uh, parachurch ministries? And uh, there were many of them that started planning 
for a 15, 20, 25% decrease in their income. They started cutting out programs. I read about some of the missions group that cut out their missions and cut back on reaching people with the gospel. They were anticipating a decrease in their income. And guess what? It happened. With us, it's been just the opposite. We had, I think, a 24, 25% growth during the recession. We went up while other people went down. We have started, we, we expanded. We now are, have this building program going and we're doing things. And you know what? People say, you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up. This is how we're living. Because you know what? I have labored to rest in the Lord. Man, I have spent a lot of time getting in the word and praying and God has proven to me and shown me that it doesn't matter what this world's economy does. I'm blessed. And God is going to supply my need according to his riches in glory. And because of it, our ministry income went up. Jamie and my personal investments went up 61% when the market went down 50%. Amen. Amen. And people say, man, who's, who's your investor? You're missing it. It is not the person. It's God's blessing. That's like the Israelites. They took one day out of seven off and they had more food than the people that worked seven out of seven. And they said, boy, your ground must be better. No, it's not the ground. It's the blessing of God. It was the covenant of God. They were by faith resting in the Lord. That's like when people start giving and they give 10%. People in the natural would think you can't prosper. You aren't going to have as much money. Here's your goal over there of obtaining this type of house and all of these things. And when you give 10% away, you're moving away from that goal instead of towards it. This doesn't make sense to the natural man. But if you do it with the right attitude, you're saying, Father, you're my source. That's right. That's and right. I trust you. And I believe that I'm going to prosper more with 90% than if I do it with 100% because you will bless my 90% and you will protect me. And I don't know how it works. It defies logic. But you know what, Jamie and I have given and given and given and we are blessed, blessed, blessed. We've got more than if we would have kept everything. Praise God. You know, I, I don't even remember the statistics, but it, it, Jamie and I last year gave away more than half of our income. I think it was 70 or something percent. You know, and I don't even know. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works, but it works. If you could explain it, then it wouldn't be God. God just blesses us. Our house is paid for. Our cars are paid for. Everything we have is paid for. We owe no man anything and we give and give and give. We've given away seven or eight million tapes, books, CDs, and we are blessed, blessed, blessed. And people think you can't do that. How does this work? We are resting in God and God has supernaturally blessed us. I would challenge any of you to try it. I challenge any of you to start believing God. It works, brothers and sisters. Man, we have seen great miracles happen in healings. Seen our own son raised from the dead because we've rested in God. And I'm... Sometimes I'll sign my letters and I'll say, in Jesus. And then I'll put in parentheses and I'm not coming out. Praise God. 
You know what? I'm in Jesus. I'm resting in him. I'm trusting in what he's done. And praise God, I'm not coming out. Brothers and sisters, it is so simple. God has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He's already placed on the inside of us the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And the only reason we aren't experiencing all of the abundance that that should produce is because we aren't resting in him. We aren't staying put. We get out and feel like I've got to do something to make God move. I've got to force this issue. And we get into our own self and start trusting in ourselves instead of trusting in God. It's as simple as what I'm talking about, but one of the hardest things you will ever do is to rest and just get to a place to where, man, I don't care what anybody says. This is what God has provided and I'm not moving. The doctors and the lawyers will get on your case. Your friends will get on your case and all the well-meaning people and think you're crazy. You've lost your mind and it'll take effort for you to rest. I remember a woman who was a young lady and she had just gotten married. She wanted 12 children. She told everybody she wanted 12 kids. And uh, her and her husband were ministers and they were traveling. And while they were out on the road traveling around, we heard that she got pregnant. So everybody was excited about her having her first child. She got home and went to the doctor and found out it wasn't a pregnancy. It was a tubular pregnancy. And they said that if she would probably die. The chances of her dying were greater than 50%. And what they wanted to do was do an operation, take out all of her female parts. And even if they did that, she only had a 50-50 chance of living. And so uh, this woman was just devastated by this. Not only was she fighting for her life, but the hopes of having any children were all gone. So anyway, I was at a Wednesday night service. I was telling a joke to somebody and we were just laughing and cutting up. And this woman came up and tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and she said, Andrew, did you hear what they said about me? And she was crying and I, I just told this joke and I was laughing and I just turned to her and I said, it's no problem. I said, no big deal with God. And it's just like I slapped her. She just, she stopped crying. She looked at me and she says, what are you saying? I said, this is no, no big deal with God. It doesn't take any more power of God to heal you of this than it does a cold. I said, it's no big deal. She says, what should I do? And I said, well, I can't tell you what to do. That depends on where you are. And she asked Jamie and me to come over. We went down, sat with her and her husband, and they showed us all this stuff. And we told them, says, look, you can, you can let them cut out all of your female parts. But I said, and if you live, you're never going to have children. That dream's gone. And she says, well, what option do I have? And I said, why don't you just get healed? And and she says, but they say I'll die. And I said, well, if that's what you believe, then you better go take their treatments and stuff and do what you can. But I said, God can heal you of this. Anyway, God just opened up her heart. She decided to believe God and just trust God and not go back to the doctors, not get any surgery, not take any treatments, not do anything. And boy, the doctors exploded. And they came over and they yelled at her and told her this is committing suicide. And you know what? She had to labor to rest in the fact that, no, God has already healed me. And then they gave her, I think it was 20 or 30 pages of medical legal stuff that she had to sign so that they would not be liable when she died and had all of these problems. And man, they... I mean, it was just day after day and week after week of all of this unbelief that was thrown at her. And it took a lot of effort 
for her to just rest in the fact that God knew this was coming. God's already provided. I've already got it. And she, it, it was work to rest in the fact that she was healed. But you know, I don't even remember how many years ago that's been. It's been over 20 years. And I think she's had four or five kids, all natural childbirth at home because no doctor would deliver it after seeing her medical report. And you know what? It worked. But she had to rest and she had to labor to rest. Most of us are more influenced by the world and what people have to say than what you realize. And there are some of you that even though you intellectually know that by his stripes you were healed, what the doctor says would just ring in your ears. You would have thoughts of, uh, I'm going to die. You would plan your funeral. You would remember everybody you've ever known that had that same problem and how they died. And you'd rehearse this in your mind. And it would keep most of you from resting in the fact that God's healed you. It takes effort to do what I'm talking about. But it's as simple as what I'm talking about. God's already provided everything. What is it that you need today? God's already provided it. Will you just trust Him and believe and rest in that? Or are you going to sit there and feel like, no, I've got to do something. I've got to, I've got to do something. I can't just sit here and wait on God. If that's the way you believe, then it's not going to work for you. You can void the grace of God. But God's grace has already provided everything. And this is what the seventh chapter, I mean, uh, the seventh day Sabbath was all about. The fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews It's just describing a position that you can enter into where it's done. God's provided everything and I'm not going to worry about it. God's anticipated anything that could ever come against me. His grace has already provided it just as surely as He provided every need that the human race would ever need. It was all provided. This earth can sustain whatever happens on this earth. God created it that way, anticipated anything that could ever happen. There's never anything that's going to happen that's going to surprise God. He anticipated, it was so complete, he just rested. There's nothing left to do. Isn't that awesome? And that's the way it is with your salvation. Nothing is catching him by surprise. There's not any person here that has a need that shocks God. He's already built on the inside of you. His grace that is already paid for whatever it is that you need. And all you got to do is just trust in it. And this gives you a lot of peace about the future too. You may not know what's coming, but God knows. And God's already dealt with it. And he's already given you the grace to deal with it. And you know what? You just don't have to worry about it. Regardless of what happens. As your days are, so shall your strength be. Whatever comes against you, your strength will be there to meet it. And you can rest in that. And you can trust God. And you can just get to where you live a life this way. And you aren't uptight about stuff. You aren't worried about things. You cast all of your care over on the Lord because He cares for you and you trust Him. I would recommend this lifestyle. It's a better way to live. You don't have to take something to put you to bed at night, something to wake you up in the morning. You don't have to take antidepressants and do all of this. You don't have to take a pill. You live off the gospel. Amen. (laughs) It's a better way of living. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you for these truths. Father, thank you that you've anticipated everything and that you've provided everything that we ever could need. Father, I pray that somehow you'd use these words today 
to speak to people here in this room. And that, Father, those who have been worried and fearful and doubting about whether or not you are going to come through. Father, I pray that you just help them to realize that you've already dealt with it. It's already done. They've already got it. You've already supplied it. That your grace has already made the provision before they ever had the need. And Father, I pray that you just help people to rest and trust in that. To lean upon you. Cast their care about it over on you and let you take it. That Father, they would quit holding their problems in their own grip, in their own power. That they'd open up their hand and just let it go. Thank you, Jesus. I believe in my heart that God is speaking to some people here today. That some of you here today have been uptight and maybe you are believing for the right thing, but you're trying to make it happen. All of the burden is upon you. All the weight's on your shoulders. You need to transfer this over to the Lord and you just need to tell Him that, man, you trust Him. That you aren't worried about it. And you need to let go of that. You know, everybody to some degree can say that that's you. I don't think that any of us do this perfectly. So every one of us, I've been encouraged by myself today. But you know what? I'm not asking everybody to respond to this. There are some of you here that this isn't just a reminder. It isn't something that just helps you to get back on track a little bit. There's some of you that it's like you've been going the opposite direction. Man, you've tried, you've begged, you've pleaded, you're trying to force God to move. You are worried about things. You're anxious. You're uptight. And this isn't just a correction for you. It's an about face. It's going in the other direction. There's some of you that God has spoken to miraculously today. And you know that this was destined for you. This was God speaking to you. And I'd like to ask you to be humble enough right now to just say, you know, that's me. And I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to cast my care over on the Lord. If that's you, and if you would like to repent openly and receive this prayer, I just want you to stand right where you are. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer of casting your care over on the Lord and just beginning to rest in the Lord. Now, again, everybody could respond to some degree, but I'm talking about those that this isn't just a little reminder or a correction. It's an about face. You haven't been living this way. You're going to turn from this and you're going to start trusting God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, if you've understood correctly and if you've responded to this, this is well over 50% of the crowd. No wonder, no wonder we haven't seen better results because we aren't just resting in the Lord. We aren't trusting in Him. We're trying to do it on our own. I tell you, this is a secret to the Christian life. It's a secret that's now been revealed. Praise God. I believe it's going to make a difference in your life. Father, I thank you for all of these that are standing. Thank you for them humbling themselves and saying that, Father, we have not trusted in you. We haven't felt like you already knew every problem that we would ever have and you've already made the provision and we've been wondering and in unbelief if you would meet the situation. Father, thank you for these people humbling themselves and admitting it and standing publicly. Father, we just say that we're sorry for not trusting in you. I know many, many people here, it's because they've never heard this. 
And Father, we can't believe what we haven't heard. But we thank you for the truth. We receive the truth. We receive this. And thank you, Father, that whatever our problem is, that you've already meant it. You've already put that power on the inside of us. And so now, Father, we stand to turn from our own self-effort, our own trying to fix things on our own, and we just labor right now to rest. We make a commitment to start trusting you and believing that, Father, you are going to work things out for us supernaturally. Father, we cast our care about these things over on you. We refuse to worry about this. We refuse to be bothered any longer. Father, we believe that you love us and you are taking care of these situations. And we thank you. And I just speak the peace of God over all of these that are standing. And Father, right now, a supernatural peace, a peace that passes understanding, comes into every heart, into every life right now. And that, Father, we just lose the burden and the weight of these problems. We refuse to lose sleep over these things anymore. We know that you never slumber or sleep. You're going to be up all night anyway. We just give you our problems. We give you our cares, Father, and we believe that we're going to sleep. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I speak peace over your people. I believe that the Holy Spirit is taking these cares away and that, Father, faith is coming in on the inside of people. And thank you that things are beginning to work out supernaturally right now in Jesus' name. And, Father, we thank you. I believe there are going to be hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of how you miraculously manifested your power when we got out of the way and let you be God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I believe you receive. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. You know, one little quick testimony that my son, Peter, was three years old before he talked. And we finally, and it was because we did everything for him. There's no reason for him to talk. All he had to do is point and grunt. And so I finally determined, I started telling him, I said, you know what? You aren't going to get it unless you talk. And we were coming out of a bathroom and they had a door that was really hard to open. And he put both hands on that door and was trying to open it. And then he put his foot on the door and got to pulling, which of course was counterproductive. And he was never going to get that door open. And he looked at me and he was grunting and I knew what he wanted. But I said, I'm not going to do it unless you say something. And he wouldn't say anything. And I couldn't really solve the situation because he had that doorknob in his hands, just like this. And it would have, you know, it was hard to open. And I would have had to squeeze pretty hard. And I would have squeezed his hands. And I said, I can't help you until you let go. And you know, when I said that, the Lord spoke to me and he says, that's exactly the way I feel about you. As long as you have this situation... Right in your hands. I can't help you until you let go. And you know what? Some of you just let go today and you just turned it over to the Lord. And you're going to be amazed at how God supernaturally intervenes in your situation. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you're going to see a miraculous difference. Isn't that great? 
Well, Wendell, are you ready for your meeting? I tell you what, I'd like to um, dismiss those of you that want to go to this meeting before we have people come up for prayer. Uh, for the purpose of it, you have to go upstairs and across to the other side. And if you feel like you might lose your way, this is Wendell Parr. And if you would just follow him to this meeting about our Bible college, uh, they will lead you over there. So you feel free to be dismissed and to go. The rest of you, let's wait just a moment and let these go. Of course, if uh, you've ever thought about going to Bible college, you know, if what you heard today ministered to you and helped you, you'll hear this every day in Bible college. You will hear things that will just change your life. I would encourage all of you that you ought to be a part of this. If you've ever even had a thought about it, I can guarantee you it's not the devil that put the thought of Bible college in your mind. I believe that's God. And it's not the flesh. If you've got a desire for Bible college, you ought to go check it out. Amen. We aren't going to make you do anything. All you're going to do is hear testimonies. You'll get questions answered. You'll learn details about the Bible college that may answer some of your questions. But um, we aren't going to hurt you. We're going to help you. It'd be a blessing. Praise the Lord. The rest of you, I'd like to invite our prayer ministers to come up here. You know, today we've already had about 200 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, over a dozen saved. If there's anybody here who does not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if there's anybody here who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, we still want you to come and receive. And these prayer ministers can minister to you. They can lead you into faith in the Lord. You can be born again. They can lead you into the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you can receive. So if there's anybody here that wants salvation, baptism, Holy Spirit, if you need healing, Maybe today you're ready to just cast your unbelief and your worry and your fears about things over on the Lord and you're ready to receive your healing. I want you to come and let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you and agree with you. All right? If you want prayer for anything, just come forward right now. We're going to have people that stand at the aisle and that they are going to direct you towards a prayer minister and please cooperate with them. But if you want prayer, come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers agree with you. These are all people that have been through a training with Melinda right here, the head of our prayer ministry. They're all people that know the word of God, that know how to believe God. And I guarantee you, you'll be well taken care of. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The rest of you, you're welcome to stay and pray with us, but uh, you can be dismissed if you want to. Remember that tonight's service is going to be at 6 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock. You'll miss this great praise and worship we've been having if you get here at 7 o'clock. You need to come at 6 o'clock tonight, and that'll be our last service.